Joseph is one of those great examples of someone who experienced extreme trials, yet trusted in God's goodness and sovereignty. While his brothers plotted to kill him, they then decided to sell him into slavery instead so that they could get rid of him and make some money on the side. He then became a slave in Egypt, but continued to obey God by resisting temptation. One of which was when an Egyptian captain's wife attempted to seduce him. It would have been easy for him to give in as a single, lonely slave in a foreign country. After all, where was God this whole time? He seemed far and distant. Joseph could have become a bitter man. And years later when he was uh, promoted to be second, uh, the second strongest man uh, of that time next to Pharaoh, he could have taken revenge on his brothers, but he didn't do that. Through it all, Joseph st stood firm and guarded against the temptation of doubting God. And when he finally met his brothers again, he revealed the rock-solid truth that kept him grounded. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Similar to Joseph, James wants us to have the same trust and confidence in the God who is all good all the time and never changes. This morning, we conclude one of the major sections in the epistle of James, which deals with trials and temptations in the life of the believer. In previous weeks, we looked at how Christians are called to respond to trials. That is, we are called to respond with joy by embracing our situation. Then we looked at what persevering in trials requires. We learned that it requires praying for wisdom and entrusting yourself to God and enduring until the end. Last time, we spent some time learning about the believer's response to temptation. That is, we are to recognize its source, that it comes from within, from our own evil desires, its nature, in that sin will begin very small, but if they go unchecked, will grow, and their end will be death. And today, we will focus on the believer's assurance amidst trials and temptations. So if you're taking notes this morning, our main point is this. Guard against the deception in trials by trusting that God is always good. Guard against the deception that comes in trials by trusting that God is always good. And we're going to be reading James 1. And though our passage focuses on verses 16 and 18, we will read verse, uh, start from verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. 
Therefore, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Trials and difficulties are part of every human experience in this fallen world. For Christians, God uses trials as tests of faith for his children's good. The purpose behind trials is never to hurt believers. Rather, they are intended to mature and to grow his people in holiness. This is why James calls Christians to consider it all joy whenever you find yourself in various trials. That is because there's a good purpose behind it. As with anything that is good by God's design, sin, Satan, and the world will ruin and distort those things. Those who experience trials then become vulnerable to deception. Think back at the last time that you were facing a difficult situation, one that you were not expecting. Perhaps you heard a whisper saying, did God really say he is good? Why would he allow you to go through this? Isn't he powerful enough to get you out of it? I don't know why he's tempting me. We are constantly tempted to exchange the truth of God for lies. And one way that this happens in trials is that we doubt God. Or we reverse the truth that God, that, that God doesn't tempt anyone. We begin to buy into the lie that maybe he is the one who tempts us. But you know the opposite can also happen. When you find yourself being blessed, when everything is going well, you may also be tempted to think, God must be blessing me because I'm good. Look at all the good things that I do. That must be the reason that I'm so blessed. It's in these moments that you must be on guard. James understood this. As a caring pastor, he had the Jewish Christians who had been scattered abroad, now living among Gentiles, Due to persecution, he had them in mind, and he knew that they would be test, tempted to, to, to doubt the goodness of God. Thus, he was moved to write this letter to remind believers how to respond in trials. And our passage continues with a loving warning and prohibition. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. This warning can actually be taken literally to mean stop being deceived. Apparently, some believers were already entertaining lies about God and in the process of or already being deceived. The Bible gives us many warnings to not be deceived. 
for example, Paul writes to the Ephesians saying, let no one deceive you with empty words. And to the Corinthians, he writes, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Or John who writes, little children, make sure that no one deceives you. Whenever we come across these warnings, we need to pay close attention to what comes after. I remember visiting Paris with Erica during our honeymoon. And it was a pleasant experience. And it helped that I had been there once before. I remember that when we arrived, um, that, w that when you arrived to some public areas, uh, there were sneaky men who would walk up to you and ask you for your wrist so that they could knit a bracelet around it. They would ask where you're from, how you're doing, uh, how long you'll be in town, and they, they would try to keep you entertained until they finished this little bracelet. And as soon as they finished, it almost seemed as if that kindness went away, that goodness all, all of a sudden disappeared because it would follow with an opening of the palm in expectation of payment. Their kind approach was a, was a deceptive way of getting you to let them work for their money without your consent. So I warned Erica to, to keep guard and to not give her risks, to, to, to keep them to herself so that she wouldn't be deceived and then ripped off. So when we finally got to our desti destination, she was very aware and alert. Being alert is important. So when you find yourself in any trial, be alert, be on guard. So how are we as believers to be on guard in trials? Well, James calls us to wholehearted trust in our God who is always good. Wholehearted trust in our God who is always good. Back in the Garden of Eden, the serpent approached Eve with the purpose of tempting and deceiving her. And the serpent was successful. The, the, per, the serpent got Eve to commit treason against her creator by getting her to doubt his goodness. In Genesis 3.1, we read, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? God did not say that. And Eve corrected the serpent, but it persisted with lies attempting to deceive her. He continued saying, but the serpent said, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In all of this, the serpent, the serpent was attempting to get Eve to doubt God. He was implying that he was hiding something good from them. And tragically, as we all know, Eve believed the serpent. Similarly, in trials and in difficulties, we will also be tempted to doubt God. This is why we must trust. 
that God is always good. God is always good. And the first way that we can, that, that we can trust that God is always good is by remembering God's goodness in creation. Remembering God's goodness in creation. In verse 17, we read, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We are reminded of God's goodness in His sovereignty. Our passage reminds us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. The idea here is that God is the source of all good in our lives. God is the one who continuously sends good to us. When you find yourself in trials, it will be easy to look at your situation and wonder why you are experiencing it. In those moments, look up to your Heavenly Father and be reminded that your trials are meant for your good and are coming from your Father's good hand. Because as we saw earlier in James, there is a good purpose behind the trials. It is your sanctification. It is to make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's almost as if there is a reversal of what happened in the garden where God created Adam and Eve perfect. They doubted God and thus disobeyed God and sin brought with it death. But God has been at work reversing that and thus using the situations in this life, orchestrating different situations in your life to achieve His good purpose, which is to make you mature and perfect like He designed you to be. Verse 17 also tells us that every good gift comes from the Father of lights. This is a description that points us to God as creator of the heavens, the one who created the lights above. I was going to say look up, but it's probably not a good idea for you to look at the sun. But the sun, the moon, the plants, the planets, everything that is up above, this is what we find in Genesis 1, where we are told that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is this same God who said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for, for you signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And then we're told in Genesis, as we continue reading, that God then looked at all of his creation and he declared it to be good. As a matter of fact, after he finished all of his creation, he sat back and he analyzed everything and he declared it to be extremely good. God exercises his sovereignty over creation and creating that which is good. Everything that flows from God is good because of God's nature. God himself is good. Some have put it this way. God is 
um, not good because he is God. God is simply good because that is who he is. Everything about him is good. His power, his grace, his love, his knowledge, everything that he does is good. And so God exercises this sovereignty over creation and creating that which is good. And we reap the benefits of it. Today, we are reaping the benefit of the sunlight so that we can enjoy this good day and be pointed back to the good God who created us to worship him and to love him. We are reminded of God's goodness in that he is the creator of good and the one who rules over all that he creates. But we're also reminded of the goodness of God in his unchanging nature, in what uh, theologians refer to as the immutability of God. Notice that in verse 17, it says, There is no variation of shadow due to change in this Father of lights. When James says that there is no variation, he had in mind that um, that the change that occurs in the heavens the sun, the moons, and the stars. To us, it may seem as if they are set in place, but the stars and the planets are moving, revolving around the sun, rotating as they revolve. This is not the case with God. There is no variation or change in Him. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. The reason that we are alive, despite our sinfulness, is because God is good. God is faithful. God does not change, even though we continuously change. We change our minds, we change our thoughts, we change our actions, and we rebel against Him, even after seeing and tasting the goodness of God. The immutability of God is comforting news for us, especially when we find ourselves in the midst of trials. One of the reasons that it's comforting is because it means that God will not go back on His promises. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. Has He said... And will he not do it? Or he has he spoken? And will he not fulfill it? As we look back to the garden, because it appears to be that this is one of the things that may have been on James's mind. God made a promise to send a Savior into the world to save us from our sins. Now, if you pay attention, if you read between Genesis and Jesus' arrival, In the New Testament, man, men and women, we've given God so many reasons for him not to send a Savior. But despite man's constant rebellion, God has kept his promise. He sent his Son to seek and to save that which was lost. The reason is because God is good. God is faithful and he does not change. God keeps his good promise to his people. The immutability of God is comforting news also because it reminds us that God is unchangeable in his love for us. 
For example, in Psalm 136, 26, we read, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Praise the Lord that the difficulties experienced, that we experience in this world, they don't change or challenge the goodness of God. As we all meet outside this morning, it's pretty warm. And that's why we are all under canopies for shade. But I bet you that if any of you were to stand or sit out in the open long enough, and depending on where you are sitting and at what time you do it, one of two things will happen. Either you will move due to the heat, or a shadow will begin to cover you over time. You will move because you'll get uncomfortable and will look for shade. Or the shade will eventually come upon you because the earth is moving. In both instances, the sun never moved. Similarly, in life, in trials, in whatever you experience, God never changes. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. The goodness of God is something that you can rest in if you are a child of God. The second way we can trust that God is always good is by remembering God's goodness in your salvation or in regeneration. As we just saw, when you encounter trials, you can be tempted to doubt God. You can be tempted to doubt God's goodness and God's sovereignty. He's either not good or not sovereign, is what those thoughts will, 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 will tempt you to think. James understood this, so he gives us another rock-solid truth to look to in order to help you stand firm. That is God's goodness in regeneration, specifically in his will Towards you. If you look back at verse 18, James writes, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Many believers are tempted to think that they are saved because they chose God. But this verse corrects that way of thinking. The emphasis on your salvation, here is on God's will. And we see this throughout Scripture, that it is God who initiates. So when we look back to the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, it is they who hid from God. But it was God who initiated. It is He who sought them out. It is God who sacrificed an animal and clothed Adam and Eve. Or when the Lord saved Paul, it wasn't because Paul was looking for him. As a matter of fact, Paul was looking to persecute his people. And in, it was in the midst of that that God drew near. It was the Lord who came to him and called Paul to himself. And if you're a Christian... 
It is the same for you. It is the same for me. It is God who drew near to us. It is God who initiated because of his will. God willingly and consciously chose to set his love upon you. And this is God's goodness to us. Because if you know yourself rightly, you know that you don't deserve God's grace, God's mercy, God's goodness. None of us do. But yet God in his kindness exercised that will to be good to you and to me. When James writes of his own will, he is emphasizing God's deliberate choice in saving people. In salvation, it is always God who chooses to do so. In John 15, 16, for example, Jesus told his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Regeneration then is the sovereign act of our good God in giving new life to those who were dead in their sins. This is what he has done for every believer. Notice also how God does this. He does this by his word. James tells us that he accomplishes this by the word of truth. To understand a little more of what goes on, we can look to Paul uh, in his writing to the Ephesians in 1.13, where he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. God saves his people by his word as they hear and believe the word of truth. This is why we emphasize here at FBC the word of God because we believe that it is the word of God that gives life to those who are spiritually dead. It is the word of God who build, that builds up his people. This is why you will notice that in just about everything that we do, everything from our call to worship to our prayers to our scripture reading to the songs that we sing and even the preaching where the majority of the time goes to the preaching of the word, it is because it is the, the word of God that gives life. The word of God is what gives life, life to people. It builds us up. It strengthens us. It makes us more like Christ. And why does God exercise his good will towards us? Well, ultimately, he does it for his glory. If you continue reading there in verse 18, James writes that he does this so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This takes us back to the Old Testament. The first fruits served as a glimpse of what was to come. When the first harvest would arrive, God's people were called to bring the first fruits of their harvest to him as a thank offering. It was a, way, it was a way of thanking God for his goodness and expressing trust in his continued provision for them. James uses this to show us how God, out of his good will, grants his people new life through the gospel so that we would be the first fruits of what is to come as he has promised 
to make all things new again. There will be a new heaven and a new earth with his people being fully sanctified, being given glorified bodies with no more trace of sin or its effects. But in the present, we serve as first fruits, as a testimony of what is to come. And as such, we are called to be consecrated. We are called to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God for His glory. But we cannot do this unless we stay on guard and not doubt God. Because if we aren't on guard and we are deceived, then we turn away from the good God who has called us for His glory. We then turn to live for something else. So when we find ourselves in temptations, when we find ourselves in trials, we are to stand firm by trusting in the goodness of God. Brothers and sisters, in this life, we will experience many trials and tribulations, different kinds of trials. Some are going to be greater, some are going to be smaller, but they're going to be some, it's going to be something that we all experience. And one of those things that we all have in common that we've experienced is 2020 till the present in COVID. It's something that we've all experienced. It's affected us in different ways and shapes and forms. This is something that we were told would happen to us, that in this world we could, expe we could expect trials and tribulations. But we must fight to remember the truth from this passage. God is good. God does not change. We can trust Him to be good, to provide good things. And the prime example of this is our new birth. And our new birth is only possible because of Jesus, the perfect gift who has come down from above, from the Father of lights. You see, none of us could be forgiven forgiven for our sins if we were left to ourselves because trying to earn right standing would be impossible because we're all sinful none of us could fix the mess that we got ourselves into it is Jesus the perfect gift the one who came to give his life as a ransom for many the one who did it out of love for his people. It is this Jesus. He is the one who has resisted temptations perfectly. It is this Jesus who is the very wisdom of God that we ourselves are called to ask for in prayer. It is this very Jesus, the one who makes it possible for us to have new life by repenting of our sins and trusting in Him and His work for us. That is what the gospel is all about. It is the good news of salvation that comes from a good God. 
He offers salvation to all and any who would repent of their sins and turn to Him. And instead of wrath and judgment as payment, He turns to you and He gives you an undeserved gift that has come. Special delivery, next day delivery, directly to your door in the person of Jesus Christ. Praise God that He is a good God and a good giver of gifts. But practically, how do we experience this, right? Because sometimes it's difficult to remember that God is good. Well, in God's good wisdom, He has created for us a day when we gather. He calls us together to gather together to worship him. And one of the things that we do when we gather together and we worship is we partake of the Lord's Supper. You see, the Lord in his goodness, he invites us to taste and to see that he is good. And we do this as we partake of the Lord's Supper. He has gifted us with this time and this place in the life of our church where we can come together after experiencing all the different trials of life, sometimes multiple trials at the same time, and we gather together as His people where we can look next to one another and be reminded of the goodness of God in each other's lives. But not only that, then He calls us to partake of the Lord's Supper as we taste the goodness of God in Um, the bread and the cup. It is this good God who calls us to remember what He's done for us and for us to respond to His goodness in the sending of Jesus by thanking Him, by trusting in Him, by living for Him. This is why we prioritize coming to the local church and partaking together and fighting against any sinful desire to not come, to not meet, to not gather. So don't, get, don't misunderstand this. We're not saying that if you're sick um, and for health reasons that um, you're in sin if you don't come. That's understandable. But we have to fight against the temptation of comfort. We have to fight against the temptation of thinking that coming to meet with the Lord's people is an option when in reality... It's a call, it's a command from God for us to come together and to taste His goodness. If you are not a Christian and you're visiting us this morning, we're we're thankful that you're here. I want to ask you, what is your hope in trials? What do you hope for when you're experiencing those difficulties? Is your mentality or, in, or is your hope to just survive? Is it just to, you know, get the vaccine or stay indoors long enough for this thing to get better and, and just outlive whatever danger you're experiencing? Or is your mentality, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and therefore you'll take it as it comes and you trust that you'll just be stronger as a result of what you're experiencing. 
Well, the Bible tells us that our greatest need is not to be healthy. Our greatest need is not to look for and get as many of the good toys that you can find in this world. Our greatest need is to be in right relationship with God. And God offers you this in the gift of his son, where he promises to give you free and full pardon for your sins and reconciliation to him so that you would enjoy a good relationship with this good father. And he does this by offering you his very son. And it is he who we present to you and proclaim to you. So brothers and sisters, when you find yourself in trials and in difficulties, how will you respond? Well, James calls us to be on guard and to know that we can trust our good Heavenly Father who is always good and who never changes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you because you are good. Lord, your word has revealed you to be a God who does nothing but good, who creates good things, but who is also good, both to the just and the unjust. Lord, we thank you that rather than giving us what we deserve in your kindness, you have treated us better than we deserve by giving us your son to take upon himself the penalty for our sins. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be on guard. We pray that as we experience trials and difficulties, that your spirit would bring to our memory the truths of your word so that we would stand firm. We pray that you would enable us that having tasted and seen your goodness, Lord, that we would then go out and be good to others, that we would follow in the footsteps of Christ and treat others uh, how you have treated us, not because others deserve it, but is because you are good and you call us to do good to them. Lord, we pray that um, in everything that we experience, Lord, that we would stand firm, that we would praise you and that we would trust you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways that you build us up and that you edify us. And we pray that you would help us to live this out for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.